Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So I want you to imagine, if you can, that you're a brand new parent, and you're a brand new parent, and you're teaching your kid how to talk. Now, uh, for some, I think all the babies were in the early service, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I think we had at least a half a dozen or more in the first service. <clears throat> in the first service, did you, did you hear? In the first service, I think one of them said amen. I'm pretty sure that was the first word that that baby spoke was amen. I'm pretty sure. And so, you know, just imagine, if you will, you know, you're, you're a brand new parent. For some, that's, that's not difficult at all. You are a brand new parent. For others, you know what? You're like me. And it's been a few years, but you can probably still remember those days, right? Where you would lean in. And maybe, you know, for week after week, maybe month after month, who knows? Maybe it's been year after year. And you've just been trying to encourage them to speak that first word. If you're a dad, you're leaning in and you're saying, Dada. Dada. Give it a beat, anything, you know, you can. If you're a mom, of course, it's, it's mama. And then it happens, you know, after who knows how many times, thousands of times, maybe, maybe millions of times, who knows. But finally, after all those invitations to speak their first word, they do. And when they do, it is wow, right? So the first word, of course, is dada. Because, I mean, I was the favorite. <laughs> Katie, uh, youngest you scared of your mama. That's what's wrong with you. You're scared of your mama right now. Yes, you are, and you're a wise young lady for it. So anyway, they speak that first word, and you know what? Regardless if they say dad, dad, or, or mama, here's the thing that you know. Both parents immediately in that moment think, this is the smartest kid that's ever graced planet Earth. <clears throat> you're pretty sure, you know, you want to get this recorded Send it out to all your friends and family members. You probably want to send it to CNN. You this, this child, no child has ever spoken a word clearer, more distinctly at such a young age. I mean, we, and Albert Einstein moved over. The world's never seen what the world is fixing to see through this child. So, what's next? What do you do next as a proud parent? Well, you can choose from the following. A, you're just perfectly happy that your daughter knowing one word is awesome. You don't want to push the envelope and you can care less whether she ever speaks another word. B, B, you commit to teach her one new word every year with the hope that maybe by the time she turns 20, she knows maybe 20 words. Or C, there should have been a D, I ran out of stuff. C, you ramp up the learning process immediately and you do all you can to teach your little girl new words every single day because you are quite sure that there's never been a brighter, smarter, more intelligent, more gifted child than yours and what you want to see from that child is more. Not for you, but you want them to reach their full potential. The answer is C. 
When a loving mom sees her child growing and learning, she wants to accelerate the process. When a, when a caring dad watches his son take that first step, I mean, he swells with pride, and, and now he wants to teach that little fella how to, how to run. You know, walking was cool, but that's not enough. I want to push it. I want you to, to do more. When a parent sees meaningful progress in any area of their child's life, life they, just, they long for more and more from that child. Our Heavenly Father takes delight. God, for those of you that don't know anything about this relationship, my heart just weighs heavy for you. Because there's nothing sweeter than to be in a relationship with the Heavenly Father that takes such delight in His children that when we take steps forward toward maturity, what he longs for is to see us grow more. When God sees us, when God sees us walk, he, he, wants, us, he wants us to run. When Holy Spirit listens in as we, as we have those sweet prayers, and sometimes, honestly, just to be honest with you, sometimes the sweetest prayers are for those who know the least you know, all they know is it's, it's about a relationship. They heard he's my heavenly father. And, and sometimes the sweetest is that prayer, that, that sweet prayer that really is based more on relationship. And sometimes what happens, what we think is maturity is not maturity at all. And so some people are more conscious of saying thee and thou and putting the therefore and the wherefores and the hence for us and all that in the right place that we lose the power of the relationship. But when Holy Spirit hears us, he hears us take those steps of vulnerability in prayer. What he longs for is for us to go deeper and sweeter. Our earthly parent wants to see their child grow more and more in every area in the same way our loving Heavenly Father delights to help us grow more and more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. Paul writes this letter to this, this sweet little group of people in this, that make up this little church in a place called Thessalonica. And uh, they were an amazing group of people. They were absolutely an amazing group of people that Paul literally, no kidding, he fell in love with. They were amazing in their story of faith. And every time I, I, I read it, I, I wrote it, and I don't like it because it, sta it sounds cold to me. Their step of faith, it was, it was their, the story that got out was their deep love for Jesus. That was the story that was out. The story of how, for some of these folks that, that were not a part of Judaism, that never knew that God, the God, the creator of the heavens and earth, could possibly want to have a relationship with them, for them to understand that God so much wanted a relationship with them that he sent his son Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood, that he shed it for them as well. Everybody is in. Everybody has that love that's available to them. And, and they couldn't get over that. And so the story was out. And literally the story was spreading everywhere they went. So this morning, I want us to watch as Paul, like a loving father and a tender mother, encourages them more and more to be more and more anchored 
in their faith, in their relationship, in their walk with Jesus. Verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. I think that's awesome. It doesn't sound like the church I grew up in. It seems like the only time you heard messages was pretty much to beat you over the head and tell you how bad you were. And the thing I love about this letter, it's an awesome letter, and you should really go back and read it again and, and read it over and over and over, and then go to 2 Thessalonians and, and read it. And because what Paul's doing, he said, man, you guys are, you guys are doing an awesome job. You are, you are doing an awesome job. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So Paul's saying, you guys are, are doing great. You really are. You're amazing. And the news of your relationship with Jesus, this newfound love that you have for Jesus, is literally spreading like wildfire. It's, it's spreading all over the place. In a day when there was no trains, planes, or automobiles, there was no text messaging, there were no computers. In a day when, when communication was slow, slower than a snail's pace, he said, but the word is getting out. And you guys are doing awesome. And speaking a few words was amazing when you were two, but now that you're older, you're capable of speaking more. And then verse two, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So I hope that you do this too, and I hope that if some way I can teach you something, to emulate something, it would be to simply say that, that when you're in Scripture, ask questions. I, it's awesome to ask questions. I wasn't raised to ask questions. You don't question God. He'll zap you with a bolt of lightning. And what I've learned over the years is that God invites our questions. I think he loves it when we care enough to come to him and say, Lord, i got to be honest, I don't really get this. It's, it's about relationship, and he loves it when we interact with him. And so I interact with him. And so sometimes I say, dude, like, what? <laughs> what instruction? And you know, you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? Read on, big boy. Read on. I said, yes, sir. So here's the thing. Are you ready for point number one? I obviously not. So you're going to have to put your big girl and your big boy pants on because this is what David was talking about just a few minutes ago. Mm. So, you ready? You're getting better. The first area that he wanted to see them grow more and more in was sexual purity. I don't even know if you can say that on Sunday morning. Can you say sex? I, I did. And I've done it over the years, and quite honestly, it usually offends somebody. And my thing is always, really? So you're offended. It's in all the music that you listen to, it seems. It seems it's on every TV show. I mean, I don't watch that much, but I hear that it's on a lot of, you know, new TV shows. And I go, so you hear it everywhere, every day. Like, you can't be in the line at Walmart and not see it or hear it. Then why are we so offended? Here's what Paul says. He said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Boy, that's a big old hairy, churchy kind of word. What does it mean? Well, sanctification, as used in this verse, speaks to the separation of. The separation of. So he says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And just in case you want to, he wanted to be specific, what I want you to be to separate yourselves from is that you should avoid sexual immorality. 
So I guess we better define sexual immorality because believe it or not, over the years, there's been a lot of people that seem to be confused about that word. I've even had people over the years to try to, you know, enter into some type of theological conversation and talk to me about what they think that means. So let me kind of break this down for you. The Greek word that's used here is pornea. As you can imagine, that's where we get the word pornography. actually comes from that root word. And here's what it means. It, it's mainly, it means mainly, it's used mainly for fornication. We having fun yet? And so there's always somebody that says, what's that mean? I'm not really glad you asked, but I think you should know. I am from Greer. Take that into consideration when you hear this definition. So fornication, for those of you that may not know what the word means, is two people acting like they're married who ain't married. Think about it just for a second. Let me elaborate for those that are a little bit slow to get on board. This is not my favorite part, by the way. It's touching each other and sleeping together in a way that God designed only for a man and for a woman to do with each other. So, so here's what God said. God said that close physical relationship is for married people only. Now, he, God created sex, and all God's people said. Dude, there's a hallelujah in there somewhere. I'm just saying. Man, it's awesome. Karen's next door teaching. I think. Sometimes she slips in. Oh, Lord. But this term, you also need to know that this term can also be used, is used many times in a much broader sense, including all types of sexual sins between male and female, married or single. You can check me on this if you want to. I just want to be clear. Can we move on? Thank you. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control, just in case, again, we're a little bit confused exactly what Paul means by this. He just keeps going. He says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not, not in a passionate, lustful way like the pagans. Who do not know God. So honestly, there's a, I read that and I go, well, what, 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 is, what was the cultural norm? What did lust like the pagans, what did that mean back in Paul's day? And I got to be honest, it's a loaded question. It really, really is. And you should just go do your research outside of any Christian material. Just look at secular history and see what's recorded about this particular period in history. I'm going to suffice it to say, to say back in the time of the Roman Empire, Chastity and sexual purity were, according to, <laughs> I'm pulling somebody else in on this, buddy. I'm not out here on this limb by myself. According to Enduring Word Bible Commentary, almost unknown virtues. Did you get that? Chastity and sexual purity were almost unknown virtues. So, for those of us that need to be a little bit more explicit, what does that mean? It means that everybody was having sex with everybody. 
Maybe you could say everybody was having sex with everybody and anybody because this was what the Roman Empire, this was the way that these people lived. And I don't want to go any deeper than that. Do your own study on the side. And here's the thing that breaks my heart. Just so you know, it was inside the church as well as it was outside the church. And that's why Paul felt like that it was important to give them this instruction. He said, you know what, the church is no different. So I'm going to give you these instructions. Now that was way back in Bible times. Aren't you glad that we, being a more educated, more civilized uh, people, and the church being so more enlightened by history and our study of the word, because you got to admit, I mean, there's never been a time in history where it has been made as easy to study the depth of truth in God's word as there is today. And so because of that, we're just a lot different than they were back in the day. Right. Sad truth is we haven't learned much from our past. And I'm going to say this, and I want to be careful saying it, but it, I have to say it. You already know it. Pastors, we haven't done a very good job of leading it. I mean, how many people are out of church today because of some pastor that failed? How much sexual abuse has taken place inside of the church? And I'm not just pointing at other denominations and say it happened within that denomination and not ours. We're broken people. Pastors are broken people. We're, we're, we're messed up. We're, we're, listen, I've said this for years. I think the most screwed up bunch of people in the world or pastors, and I am one. And I think it's the truth. And I think that, that for way too many years we've tried to live in, in, this, in this bubble, this glass bubble. We've tried to maybe to elevate ourselves, to, to, allow, to somehow lead you to think that we're better than what we are. Listen, I will stand here this morning and tell you that I am I'm probably way more broken than you are. If I'm anything, I am a picture of the mercy and the grace and the love of God. That's what I am. I'm no better than you. I've just found the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. I'm just saying. And we've got to figure this out. As pastors, we've we got to get honest. And I'm thankful that I have a group of people around me that I, I can be honest with. We got to deal with it and quit covering it up. And then when we do share it in church, we come across as being arrogant and judgmental and all those people. And there are people that are sitting within the congregations that we're speaking to thinking, yeah, right, what about you? It's time to have honest conversations. It's time to figure this out. Have we figured it out yet? I don't know. We're working on it. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery. That's why we have a recovery program. It is because we believe that every person, every person, every child of God is broken. I don't know if you know this. It's because of sin. Hello, y'all out there? So guess what? We've all messed up. We have all sinned against God, a holy God, a righteous God. And what we need is to be able to acknowledge the brokenness you're only as sick as your secrets. 
that we can acknowledge our brokenness and that we can reach out to others for accountability and help. I'm thankful that I'm in a safe place. People told me in the beginning, you don't need to tell anybody in your church, go outside the church, go to another group somewhere else. And I gotta be honest, I don't trust anybody else. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not in a relationship with them. That's all I'm saying. They're probably awesome people. And I guess there would be something a little bit easier about walking into a room where nobody knows me and say, oh, my name is Scott, let me just tell you where I'm screwed up. It's different when you walk into a group of people, listen, you don't understand this, that you pastor. You say, I just got to get honest. Man, I'm struggling. Y'all with me? So let me ask you this question. I just asked myself questions, so I feel like you should join in with answering the hard questions. Has all the sexual freedom that's been pushed over the past few decades, and I, I wrote that, I don't even think that's right. I mean, I don't even know, I don't know when, I guess it started in the Garden of Eden. Has it made us better relationally? So let me ask you this. Are marriages stronger today because of infidelity? Does that seem like a stupid question? How about, how about families? Are families stronger? Are families stronger? Are singles happier? Maybe it's just Springwell, you know? Maybe, maybe we just deal with some broken singles. We deal with some honest singles who are able to share their junk with us and to say, I'm, I'm broken. No, I'm not happier. I'm, I'm not more fulfilled. There's something missing in my life. So y'all ready to move on? Boy, I am. So, <laughs> it's going to get better, I promise. So second, Paul says we need to grow more and more in our love for one another. Woo! Aren't you glad we off that sex thing, right? Aren't you glad? We're going to talk about love now. Not that kind of love. Verse 9, he says, what about your love for one another? We don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And you're doing it really, really well. In fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. You, ha you have a reputation. You know what? Everywhere I go, they're talking about the love that you guys have for each other. He says, yet, yet, as good as you're doing we urge you to do so more and more. So bottom line is saying, you know what? You're doing great, but you can still do better. And I guess that kind of brings up this question. When, when has love reached its maximum potential? When is enough love enough love? It's like, when was the last time you heard a wife look at her husband and say, really, baby, really, I, I can't take any more of this love. I'm tapped out. I don't want no more. When's the last time you had a, had a, had a husband look at his wife and say, baby, I really, you've loved me to death. Can you take that love somewhere else? Because I'm just telling you, I can't take any more of this love. When, when have you ever seen a child say, mom, dad, please don't love me anymore? When was the last time you were in a relationship with a friend? When was the last time? And you looked at that friend and said, really, no kidding. Don't love me anymore. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be loved anymore. I want you to leave me alone in the name of Jesus. 
that doesn't happen. So it never really reaches its full potential, does it? So here's what Paul's saying. He said, you know what? I mean, I know you got some friends in your life, but you got to step it up. And you got to step it up because you know what? You guys are being persecuted. You, you guys are struggling. I left. They were persecuting me, and, and you loved me so much that you packed up me and my ministry buddies, and you sent us on to another place. And, but you stayed, and, and you didn't shut up, but you continued to, to share your faith with anybody and everybody that would listen. And he said, you know what? Here's the thing. You need each other. And you're doing a great job. But when is love enough? When has it reached its maximum potential? What Paul is saying, it never will. That's what he's saying. I wrote this sentence. It may sound kind of weird. Maybe it's out of context. I don't know. I'm just going to take it. It was the Holy Spirit that told me to write it and say it. Recovery and growth never happen in isolation. You may think, whoa, recovery. Because we're all recovering from something. It's called sin. And it never, not ever, not ever, ever, ever. Does, did you get that? It never happens in isolation. You can't do it alone. We need other people in our lives to give us different views of our lives. I love the backup camera in my truck. Okay, I say love. Um, actually, I, I didn't like it at all to start with. And you know why I didn't like it? Pride. And because I thought that anybody that had to have a backup camera was some sissy driver. Some sissy driver don't know how to drive. And so I grew up, I was taught how to use my mirrors. Hello, y'all with me? And I got the little uh, round thing you put over in the corner unless you know things are closed. You know why? I'm a good driver. And so then, then did you look behind you? You look behind you, right? Y'all with me? Chris, forget you. Um, we almost killed us on the golf course. He can't get over it. Let it go. Just, that's a whole other story. Maybe one day I'll share it with you. And so for, it was for pride. You know what? I thought, I don't need no stinking backup camera. But then I started to use the backup camera, and you know what? I actually fell in love with it. I thought, this, this is awesome. Because it tells me that there's something in a place that I can't, I literally, I cannot see and then those sensors, y'all know what I'm talking about? Beep, beep, you know, like I'm backing up. Or so so yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Those sensors that go off. I love those sensors. And let me tell you why. And as serious as I know how to be, I remember several years ago hearing about how someone literally backed over a child. And the story was they were looking over their shoulder. They did check their mirrors, but their child was in a blind spot somewhere that they could not see. And that if they had had a backup camera, that backup camera would have given them a view that they did not have. Having great friends in your life is like having a backup camera with sensors that let you know what you can't see on your own. They are, uh, they're like sensors to let you know when you're getting dangerously close to things that can harm you. And I need those people in my life, and I have those people in my life, and I'm grateful and I'm thankful. I remember not too many, too many months ago, I remember one of those people that I trust. And just so you know, not everybody can speak into my life. I had someone a few years ago said, I don't want to speak into your life. I said, I don't think so, Skippy, not you. He said, oh, I'm offended. I said, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't, what I, what I, why would I want to trust you with my life? But I have some people that I trust, and a guy said, you know what, every time something, anyway, the you always make mention of something. 
And, and in a very loving way, he said, you know what? You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that with us. You don't have to give us an explanation. You don't have to tell us why. You don't have to. And, I, and I, you know what? I love that because I, I, I thought about it. I said, you know what? He's absolutely right. I do. Every, for some reason, I feel this need that I need to tell something. I need to give this information to. And you know what? That comes because I've been hurt in the past. So I want people to know. It's beautiful when you have friends that can speak into your life. Because, folks, I've got to be honest with you. I need those friends. I didn't told you I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. And I need some people that I can look at and say, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. Somebody's got to hold me accountable. Thank you for loving me. We need community. And then he says, we need to be more and more, this is an easy one too, right? Aware of our example. Now I'm going to read you a few verses and honestly, if you, don't, if you don't do the backstory, you're not going to have a clue. You've got to know what the context is. If you don't know the context, you're never going to figure this out. So, he says, yeah, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, which is an example that Baptists, Southern Baptists, were back in the day. Some of y'all got that, most of you didn't, which is probably a good thing. And work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And by outsiders, don't be offended by that. He's just saying those that are literally just outside the family of God. Those that haven't become followers of Jesus. That we should live our lives in such a way that we win the respect of those people so that you won't be dependent, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So let me give you a little background on what's going on in the passage. Of course, as, uh, as, as most of you know, I, I'm assuming all of you know, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you've probably heard about Jesus. <clears throat> you've probably heard that Jesus was God's son, that Jesus came into this world, that he was born of a virgin. You may know a little bit of those stories. Maybe you don't even know that much, but you know, you've heard of the name Jesus. Yeah, he came. Well, you probably know, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a churchy person or not, you probably heard, you know what? Yeah, and I know he went to the cross. He died on the cross. I think maybe to pay the penalty for sin. Maybe you don't, hadn't figured all that out yet, but at least you've heard that story. Well, Jesus also said that he would return one day. So Jesus said, here's what he said, he came the first time, right? Just so you know, I'm God's son. I'm gonna be the savior of the world. He went to the cross, died on the cross. And then before he left, he said, oh yeah, by the way, they're gonna lay me in a tomb. I just want you to know though, here's the thing, I'm coming back. Y'all get that? So it's referred to by really smart people that's the second coming. Thank you, Jonathan. You got it. Nobody else, really. So the second coming, yeah. And so there were, there were these people, this group of people in this church that heard that Jesus was coming back. And here's what they thought. They thought, he's coming back like any day, any time. And they woke up every morning thinking today could be the day. And so you know what they did? They didn't go to work. They said, I ain't going to work. Jesus come back today. I'm going to stay at the house. Hang out with the family. I'm going to eat junk all day long. I mean, I can. Because Jesus is coming back. What would you do? So what would you do? Let's just say, for example, what would you do if, like, if we knew, okay, you love me, right? I'm your pastor. I tell you the truth. What if I told you this morning, stand right here, I know Jesus told me 
he'd come to me in a vision, and he told me, I'm coming back next Sunday. Of course, he's coming to Springwell first. Boy, that was, went over like a ton of balloons. Anyway, so and what would you do? So let me ask you, if you knew next Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, Jesus was coming, would you go to work Monday? I wouldn't. Would you go to work Tuesday foot? No, I ain't going to work. Jesus is coming back. Listen, I've had time to think about this for a while. So I was thinking, I think, man, you know what? I, it would be sweet. Like, I got a little 1,500 Dodge Ram. I, I'd love to have me a 2,500. Here's what I thought. I'd go Monday and buy me one. I'd sign a big old fat note that I know I can't pay. And I would laugh going out the door. I'd say, ride around all week, my new truck. And the joke's on you because I'm going to be gone next Sunday. What would you do? Would you go to work? Would you spend money that maybe you normally wouldn't spend? Would you go crazy for a week if you knew for certain? So here's what Paul's saying. He said, stop it. Because there's more important things. The important thing is the influence that you have on other people. And even, even if, and we don't know the day, we don't know the time, we don't know the hour, even if Jesus were to decide to come tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, is that when he comes, that there we will be faithfully doing whatever job it is that we've been called to do. He said, it's not about you. It's about the influence that you have on others. Be aware of your example. I've said this for many, many years. I'm sure that most of y'all are tired of hearing it, but I think that we as followers of Jesus should work in a way that that employers, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, would want to know right up front, like on an application, a job application, they would want to know, please check the block, Christ follower or not. And I believe that, that as followers of Jesus, we should, we should work with such integrity that we should give someone 45 hours for a 40-hour work week, that we should work with such intensity that every employer, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, would say, listen, dude, you're in. If you're a follower of Jesus, all I need to know, I don't care if you even got the skills because I know that the way that you live your life, you will do everything you can to produce as much as you can. And I think, you know what, they should come to us. I think, I think that really, no kidding, I think all the companies around should come to church and say, look, can we set up a booth in your place on Sunday morning? I mean, we just want your people. They're awesome because they're followers of Jesus. And those followers of Jesus, they are crazy on the job. So, how are you doing as a follower of Jesus? How are you doing with sexual purity? How are you doing? Really, no kidding, how are you doing? I know it's a hard question. It's not fun for me either. But how are you doing? Okay, let me ask you this question. How is your thought life? How is your thought life? Do do you struggle with thoughts? What? You're only as sick as your secrets. What if you were to decide to share that with someone? A confidant, someone that you can trust. What if you were to get in the Word? And what if you were to begin to bathe yourself in the Word? I'm thinking about a verse out of Titus right now that 
means so much to me and it gives me strength on days when I'm weak. How you doing? Have you just joked about it? It's really no big deal. Ah, the rest of the world. Paul said, you know what? You can't be like the rest of the world. Don't, don't, don't take your example from a pagan world. You've got to set a new standard. How are you doing? I wrote this down. Are you actually growing deeper and deeper in your community with other people around you? I, boy, I tell you what, I know some growth groups around here. You guys are awesome. You do it so incredibly well. Man, you love each other. You're there for each other. You understand community. I'm not kidding you. And there's been so many times I just wanted to bring all of those guys up on stage and just get you hear from them what it's like to live in such deep, sweet community. But here's what I'd say to them. How can you do it better? How do you love each other deeper? How does, it go, how does it go deeper? How is it sweeter? How do you become more aware of the people that are around you? How do you do it better? Is it because you stink and you're not doing a good job? No. I would just encourage you like Paul to do so more and more. What kind of example are you setting for those who aren't followers of Jesus? have to answer those questions if you're tired of the struggle man Thursday night would be an awesome time for you to show up you'll come in with some other broken people oh it's a sweet place I'm not kidding you you should just come you should walk in the door and you'll say well how's it different on Sunday morning Sunday morning we're pretty free Thursday night there's there's something different maybe it's because everybody that walks in the door already has their hand up saying I am mess we're ready for you but you have to take the first step maybe you're not a follower of Jesus I had the coolest job do I not so I get to come to an invitation like this and so I give the invitation I always smile I'm, I'm smiling inside I'm thinking who in the world would say no to Jesus I mean really you know you may, you may question the authenticity I get that You may have to kick the tires a little bit longer before you decide to trust. I get that. It's okay. You're in a safe place. You can doubt all you want to doubt around us. You're not going to offend us. But for those of you that say, you know what, I'm tired of doing life alone. And the God and creator of the heavens and the earth wants to be in relationship with me. I'm ready. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, then really what I would encourage you to do right now is just cry out to Him. And I guess brand new for some of you, so it's just, you know, Heavenly Father, maybe that sounds, maybe that sounds too strange for you. You're not there yet in that relationship. Maybe you say, God, I've just heard the story of your love. It's almost too hard to believe. Too hard for me to wrap my brain around to understand. But I know something has got to be real. What I feel right now is it's you. And then what you'd want to do is just say, you know, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I confess I am messed up. You could actually say, but you already knew that. 
And then just tell him, say, you know, Lord, I need forgiveness. So I'm asking you to forgive me. All my sin. I can't thank you enough for the blood of Jesus. And to the best of my ability, I'm just surrendering my life to you. Lord, you're awesome. I thank you for the beauty of your word. Lord, it is so good. Thank you, Lord, that you uh, you push us to go deeper and deeper. You push us to experience more and more. I guess every day of my life, I have to thank you. I'm so overwhelmed with your mercy and your grace and your love. I always tell you thank you, but thank you never seems to be enough. And I desperately just have a need to tell you that I love you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.